This episode of Anabaptist Perspectives is sponsored by thehistoricfaith.com. Welcome back to another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. I'm here in Southern Pennsylvania with David Berceau. You've wrote numerous books about Anabaptism, um, early Christianity, and we're going to dive into an an interesting topic today, particularly the topic of salvation, uh, the Anabaptist view of that. It's a little bit unique, maybe some would say, and so to kind of lay a foundation, explain the, obviously you're going to have to abbreviate some of this, but the dominant views in the, both the Protestant and the Catholic theologies. And, and that's always a little tricky when we talk about the Catholic view because mm-hmm. there's a, a difference often between what the official teaching of the Catholic Church is and what mm. the typical Catholic in the street might believe. So I just want to make mm-hmm. that distinction mm-hmm. as, as we go. Now, and let me maybe contrast it with another view. I would say a very common view out there that obviously we would disagree with and evangelicals disagree with and, and it's not biblical is this idea if you're just a good person then you get to heaven and I'd say most unchurched people if they believe in God that's what they think on salvation mm-hmm. I, if, if I leave a good life you know that's yeah. that that's fine and there's a lot of nominal Catholics who might think that as, as as well now the Catholic Church itself would teach you know we're saved by faith and and grace but how we live also plays a role in that It would actually be somewhat similar to the Anabaptist, except now in the Middle Ages and until Vatican II, you also had to be part of the Catholic Church. There was no salvation Mm. outside the Catholic Church. Now, that's changed since Vatican II on on that aspect. And it's also tied in more to the sacraments that if you, let's say, have a mortal sin that you have not confessed to a priest— and you die with a mortal sin that, and you have not been, you know, given uh, uh, penance by the church or forgiveness, then you're lost. It would would have been the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. It may not be now. I'm not. I'm not sure. But that's mm-hmm. generally been the teaching um, in that respect. Okay. Then along comes Luther, and he's not so much reacting to the official teaching, mm-hmm. but the man in the street in the Middle Ages. It was all about almost earning your salvation. You know, if I can be wicked, but if I give money to this, this and that, then I, I can, you know, get my way into heaven. And whether that was the official teaching or not, it's, it's how it, it worked out. And there was not sufficient teaching filtering down on grace that and God's mercy and forgiveness. So Martin Luther was just overwhelmed with, you know, his own sin and, and you know, how can I ever... Uh, be good enough to get into heaven and, and that sort of thing. Now, I don't know what kind of sin he had in his life. It, it, I kind of suspect it was more than what the average Christian is is dealing with, the fact it was such a, a an issue with him and the extreme that he went to. So he overreacted, which this is the story of almost every doctrine in Christian history. Someone goes, drifts, either they drift, the church drifts this way in the wrong direction, or somebody comes along and teaches it, and people overreact to the exact opposite extreme. And so he went from, um, instead of getting it back to, okay, let's have a balanced perspective, it was, it's all of faith, you know, nothing you do except believe. So you're, and then he gave works kind of a bad name, works meaning not, works of the law that, you know, Paul talks about that are worthless as far as salvation, or even works 
of the Catholic Church, like going on pilgrimages, those are worthless too. But he was saying just obeying Christ, you know, he called that works, you know, to, to live by Jesus's teachings, you know, that has no role mm-hmm. in salvation, you know, and if you think it does, then, then you're not saved. And so he went to the opposite extreme of salvation by faith alone, grace alone, um, and this teaching that none of us can be righteous, it's Christ's righteousness is transferred in the books of heavens to us. We have no actual righteousness of, of our own, you, you know. So that's the Protestant teaching that it would still be the dominant view today among evangelicals. Unfortunately, a lot of this is filtered into the Anabaptist churches as well. We probably need to talk at some point about mm-hmm. yeah what what the actual Anabaptist teaching is. Well, yeah, that's that's what I was curious because so we have two options. It's like a pendulum swung one way, and then you had a reaction swinging the other way. The Anabaptists, I've heard it called the third way. Yes. So they obviously historically chose something quite different from those two options. Um, so obviously say, say what that is, but then also compare it with what the early church would have believed as well. Okay, so, and you're exactly right. There's a, there's a third way that most people don't even know there's a third way. You know, they mm-hmm. just know these two extremes of, you know, trying to be good or yeah, be a good person mm-hmm. or earn your way or, yeah, it's, it's all just belief and, and, and nothing else. Well, mm. yeah, there is a third way. And I'm going to start with the early Christians because that was my journey. You know, before I was an Anabaptist, I discovered, okay, what is the faith from reading the early Christian writings and going back into the scriptures from there? And, and what I liked about their view, the uh, evangelical view, and I, you know, was a member of an evangelical church for 10 years. You know, they had their list of proof texts, but I couldn't help but notice, wait a minute, there's all these other verses. How come we don't pay any attention to these verses, you know? Um, and then other people take those other verses and they ignore some of the teachings on grace that are essential part of it. Yeah. And, and so when I was reading the early church, it's like, oh, they, they, they take it all. You know, there's no <laughs> verses they're trying to hide. You know, uh, we're, we're saved by faith. I mean, we cannot earn our salvation that without grace, we couldn't possibly be saved. On the other hand, works is not a bad word. God wants us, requires us to live an obedient life, not a perfect life, but an obedient life. He gave us commandments, and there are commandments. A lot of evangelicals were saying, oh, there's no commandments in the new covenant. Well, Jesus certainly gave a lot of commandments, Mm -hmm. and the early Christians took them very seriously, and that, yes, you've got to live a godly life. You have to live obediently to Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. but God doesn't expect perfection. He knows our makeup, and so he's a merciful God, but he does expect confession and repentance. Yes, he will forgive over and over and over Mm -hmm. if we're repentant. But to think that we don't have to ask forgiveness of our sins, and I was told that as an evangelical, look, once you're saved, not only are all of your past sins forgiven, but every sin you're ever going to commit in the future is already pre-forgiven, you know? And that is false doctrine. It's terrible oh. doctrine. So you have no sense of repentance No, at that you didn't. Point. Yeah, I mean, now many evangelicals do. I mean, there are, sure. there are plenty yeah. of godly, you know, evangelicals. I, I'm not, you know, trying to paint a, a, a picture here of everybody, mm-hmm. but there's far too many. Yeah, they don't even hmm. repent. In, in fact, I remember the first time I was, I was with some evangelicals and we were praying and I prayed the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's just part of my, my prayer, you know, or at least a modified version of it. And part of that is forgive us uh, our sins as we forgive 
mm. forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I was finished pr praying, they said, David, you, you don't have to ask forgiveness of, of your, your sins. That was already done, you, you know? I mean, that's already been done. You don't have to ask that every time you mm -hmm. pray. Oh, okay, you, you know? And mm -hmm. I kind of bought that for, for a while until I read the early mm -hmm. church. It's like, no. I mean, they prayed the Lord's Prayer three times a day. You know, I mean, they really oh. took that seriously. And Jesus said, pray this way, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So mm -hmm. there has to be that. And not just saying the prayer doesn't, or praying it doesn't do anything. It's, mm -hmm. It has to be inside. So that's the early Christian view. And one of the verses they quoted that, you know, of course, we all had read, but mm -hmm. that I saw, this is really central to the idea of salvation is John 15, which gets ignored too much. And that's where Jesus talks about, I am the vine, you are the branches. He talks about bearing fruit. Now, that parable almost has, has it all because he says, without me, you can do nothing. Okay, that's kind of the evangelical part of things mm -hmm. um, that, yeah, without Christ's power, without the Holy Spirit in us, Without all he's done for us, you know, I mean, we can't save ourselves. We can't even walk in Christ's way. I mean, he has to be living in us. But then, unless you produce fruit, it isn't automatic or he wouldn't be giving this dire warning. If you don't produce fruit, he said, you know, my, you know, you will be lopped off and thrown in the fire. I mean, so that is a dire warning that, you know, it wasn't all done when you got saved. His work is finished. Mm -hmm. Uh, as far as what he's done, his provision for salvation, but on a, another sense is not because he has to keep living in us and enabling us to produce fruit. We're not going to produce it without Christ living in us. Mm -hmm. But if we're not producing fruit, we obviously play a, a big role in whether we produce it or not, whether we let him take control of our lives, mm -hmm. whether we surrender our flesh to the Holy Spirit, and that's going to be sacrifice. It doesn't just happen like, oh yeah, it's easy to crucify the flesh. Flesh, it's called crucify because it, it's a painful experience. We all know this when when you, I, I don't think you really appreciate grace until you do have a commitment to live by Christ's commandments because mm -hmm. you see how much you fail and you realize, wow, without grace, I'm lost. But that's not an excuse to not obey. But yeah, you realize you're thankful that there's grace there, there's mercy, there's forgiveness. Okay, so um, we have to produce fruit. So the way I describe it is a love-faith relationship with Jesus Christ. There's not a formula for salvation. It's not, oh, you say this prayer or you, you know, this many works or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's a relationship, just like a relationship with husband and wife or, or children. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't define some line, but it has to be a faith, a relationship of faith and a relationship of love. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if we're not keeping his commandments, we're kidding ourselves if we think we love Christ because we don't. We don't appreciate what he did on the cross hmm. if we're not even willing then to walk by the teachings he gave us. Hmm. And we can say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for all you did. It's so wonderful. Uh, but hey, don't don't put any burdens on me. I don't want to do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's not that's not loving Jesus Christ. Hmm. Now, that is almost exactly what the Anabaptists taught. I mean, I don't know that there is any uh, difference between the early church and the original Anabaptist teaching. And the only reason I say original is, like I say, we have let a lot of the Protestant Luther's teaching come into our churches and, and affect us that way. So kind of two questions rolled into one. First of all, what you just said, what difference does that make? And then also, how have other 
church groups responded to these things that you're saying. Same. This episode is sponsored by thehistoricfaith.com, where you can find online courses that will strengthen your love-faith relationship with Jesus and His kingdom. So kind of two questions rolled into one. First of all, what you just said, what difference does that make? And then also, how have other church groups responded to these things that you're saying? Same. The difference it makes is how it affects we live. Now, it's not a matter of Jesus on Judgment Day mm-hmm. is going to say, okay, uh, is going to hand us a quiz, and okay, now you explain salvation, and, and if you put it down wrong, <laughs> I'm not going to let you into heaven. <laughs> you know, he's already told us on Judgment Day he's going to look at our life, you know, Matthew 25, you know. Yeah. So it's not that, oh, if you understand it wrong, you're lost, because there are people who have a wrong understanding of salvation on all kinds of directions, but are living by Christ's teaching. They do have that love-faith relationship with Christ. That's what counts, okay? Mm. But if you have the idea that Christ doesn't care whether you obey, that it's all of grace, that there's no point even you know trying to live a godly life because you can never be good enough anyway, that tends to affect how you live. And that's what I've seen with the um, mm. Protestant churches. Like, they used to take a strong stance on divorce. You know, no, no, no divorce in, in their mm-hmm. churches. I mean, that was not originally a particular distinctive of the Anabaptists, that we had a more strict you know, teaching on divorce mm-hmm. than, say, those churches. It, you know, we were all the same. The difference is because, as Anabaptists, we recognize how essential it is to obey Jesus Christ and... He gives us specific teachings on divorce, so we obey them even when there's a sacrifice involved. Whereas the Protestant churches have all caved in on that because, hey, you know, you're saved by grace. It's not going to affect yeah, your salvation. You know, mm-hmm. in fact, the church I was attending, as it was a Bible church, and I remember even reading what Dallas Theological Seminary said, and our church was tied into them. That's mm-hmm. that's our, our pastors all came from Dallas Theological Seminary. And they had a strict teaching on divorce. You know, this is sin. Um, it is not God's will, you know, to get divorced. But it will, if you're truly saved, it will not affect your salvation. Well, that's all people wanted to hear. Oh, it's not going to affect my salvation. So, yeah. like, in the church I, mm-hmm. I was, I'd say, when we started going there, I was in my late 20s, I, I would say easily 75% of the couples that were my age are now divorced or divorced and remarried, you know. Seventy-five percent. Wow. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, that's that's the problem. And when you have an, the wrong view of salvation, it's not that God's going to give you a quiz. It does affect how you live. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that you know. A lot of us would rather just ignore that teaching because it's hard. But we know these aren't suggestions. These aren't commandments. I mean, we can stumble and ask for, you know, forgiveness, but we can't just ignore them. And I'm sorry, Jesus, I'm not going to obey that. You know, that's not an option for a Christian. That's been the history from day one with, with uh, the evangelical churches, with Luther on, mm-hmm. on down. I mean, he said, oh, yeah, once people understand this doctrine, they're all going to live by Christ's teachings. Well, he didn't live by them to start with. <laughs> and certainly, I mean, it was a wicked. Luther in Germany was more wicked than Catholic Germany had, had been. That, that was wow. the irony. Instead of it making things better, it, it made it um, worse. Mm. Now, th- your, your second question was... Um, 
how people yeah how, or how, how how have people responded to this teaching or maybe a better way how popular is this <laughs> it, it is not popular as you can imagine it wasn't popular when the anabaptists taught it now they right. got a lot of people did convert to the anabaptists because there are a lot of people mm-hmm. who i mean they saw the ungodliness in in the evangelical churches they saw they were not obeying jesus's teaching so yeah, people, there were a lot of people becoming Anabaptists, but in general, it was still a very small, and it will always be a narrow way compared to, hey, you can live however you want as long as you say this prayer, you acknowledge I'm a sinner, and, and all of that. Well, of course, that is more appealing, particularly when it comes with this guarantee, and you are guaranteed heaven, and you can never lose your salvation. Well, well, sure, people want to believe that, and they've got proof texts, you know, to, uh, to go along with it. And, yeah, the narrow way, Jesus said it's going to be a, a hard way. There's going to be a lot of sacrifice, and it's not going to be appealing. And so, yes, people are always going to go for a doctrine, a way of life that's easier to follow. So they don't like it that I bring up what the early church believed or, or, tried, or try to reawaken the Anabaptists, you know, and say, hey, we need to contend for the faith that was once for all handed to the saints Mm -hmm. and our forefathers got it correct on salvation Mm -hmm. and we have slipped we have let our protestant doctrine infiltrate our churches and and we need to to get back Mm -hmm. to the truth and that's not always a popular message you know i'm I'm not Mm -hmm. saying these things because it's like wow this is going to really make me popular or all of that i'm deeply concerned because once people embrace Luther's doctrine of salvation by faith alone or grace alone or, or whatever, they are not going to go for the heavy teachings on, on uh, divorce or dressing different, you know, modest dress. Mm-hmm. Whatever is going to be hard that's going to make you different mm-hmm. from the world and people around you, if, if none of this matters for our salvation, then that kind of says, well, it must not matter that much to Christ either, you know. And so... Mm-hmm. I've noticed in our churches, once they embrace Protestant theology on salvation, if nothing else, just on salvation, in a generation or two, you know, they're basically Protestant. They, mm-hmm. They're not plain any longer. They've lost the teaching on divorce. They've, they've lost so many of these, mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. And so, no, it doesn't make them happy for me to, you know, kind of be a, a <laughs> spoil the party and say, <laughs> hey, this is wrong teaching. You know, yeah. we, need to, we need to get back. On the other hand, uh, there are a lot of Anabaptists, you know, who have been very supportive, mm-hmm. and I've, I've appreciated that. And a lot of people who aren't Anabaptists who, you know, will listen to one of my messages on that, and they mm-hmm. say, yes, that's what I've been seeing in the Bible, too. And I thought, I, you know, was I the only one mm-hmm. seeing this? You know, and so mm-hmm. I've gotten lots of feedback from people saying, thank you, you know, for putting this out there, because that's what it seemed to me the Bible was saying, and to know mm-hmm. this is actually the historic faith. Yeah, has meant mm-hmm. a lot, and is help people then to uh, cement that down and to yeah make the sacrifices that Christ expects mm-hmm. us to make to be one of his followers. So one thing that, that I've heard people ask is, if salvation actually causes a true lifestyle change, a, a, a deep change in your life versus, you know, God just changing some record in heaven or something, how does that work with possible imperfections? Like when we do fail, when we slip up, what happens to those imperfections in a believer's life if, if they have that view of salvation? Right, and, and, and I get asked that 
a lot. Mm-hmm. Some some of the ways it's sometimes worded to me is, okay, I'm I'm saved, and, and then now I've committed this sin. So does that mm-hmm. mean now I'm not saved, and I've got to get saved over again? It's like playing ping pong. Yeah, it's like, what I, side are you on? Am, am, I, am yeah. I in and out? And, and it, it doesn't work that way. And that's why I like using that term, an obedient love-faith relationship, you know. Mm-hmm. The relationship doesn't end, let's say, with your, with your, your spouse, okay? You, you do something inconsiderate, un, you know, unselfish, unbiblical, whatever. And it, and it might cause, you know, a strain there in your relationship. And if you don't ever repent of it, uh, yeah, that strain is going to remain there. But, yeah, you, you're still married. I mean, the relationship is, is still there. Christ doesn't just cast us off every time we, we um, fail. That's why he told us to, to pray, you know, Forgive us our our debt. So he mm. knows that we are going to sin. We are going to fail on a daily basis. And that's why we ask forgiveness on a daily basis, but also why we forgive others, you know, mm-hmm. their sins. Because he said, if you don't forgive others, I'm not going to forgive yours. Mm. But he did say at some point, if you're not bearing fruit, you're cut off the vine. So it's not a matter of you could, you can commit a heinous sin. I mean, you can be committing adultery. You can commit a you know a terrible crime, even murder somebody, mm. and that is that doesn't mean necessarily you've been cut off the the vine at that point. He he gives you time to repent. It's not that any sin is so bad, except the sin against the Holy Spirit, that you can't be forgiven, and that suddenly you're not saved anymore. You're still in that relationship until at such point. You know, he cuts you off the vine. And that's something that happens in heaven. I mean, we don't necessarily see it. Mm-hmm. You maybe get the picture when you kind of see that someone has drifted away from Christ. But I myself would never make that decision. Okay, yeah, they've been cut off the, the vine. I'm going to assume. Too far yeah, I'm going to yeah. assume they're still on it and they can be, you know, revived back. And he said, you know, my, my father, he's, he's the vine dresser. He's going to be working. He doesn't want to lose us, mm-hmm. you, you know. So that relationship is, is there. But if we persist in disobedience and we don't repent, then, yeah, some point we're cut off. And if not in this life on Judgment Day, yeah, we are not going to enter, enter the kingdom of heaven, you know, the heavenly kingdom. We're in the kingdom now, but we're not going to enter the heavenly part of it on Judgment Day. But, yeah, we don't have to despair. Oh, no, I've lost my salvation. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, like you're saying with this relationship with Jesus, an obedient, loving relationship, with Jesus, if you're still trying to live out of that, you know, you won't do it perfectly all the time, but your intent, your at the core of who you are, you still want to be obedient to Christ. It's almost like someone's not just going to lose their salvation unless they're just like, you know what, I'm not even interested in, in following Christ anymore. So would you have anything else you would like to share? For an Anabaptist, I would say, um, yeah, if you've embraced Luther's theology, I mean, please understand, hey, you have drifted not only from the Anabaptist faith. I mean, we don't worship our Anabaptist forefathers or feel like we can't question anything they have. You've drifted from the historic faith, the faith handed down to the saints, and what the Bible clearly teaches. Right now, I'm working on a commentary on Matthew, not my commentary, but what the early Christians believed, what the Anabaptists uh, believed. And Jesus, it's overwhelming how much he talks about how we live over and over and, and, and over. You can't read Matthew without and think, oh, Jesus doesn't care whether you obey his commandments or it's not necessary. In fact, Luther, the only way he could promote his, his theology was to say, 
Romans is the chief book of the Bible, he said. And if you never read, I'm, uh, this is something he actually said. I have it right here on my bookshelf. Wow. Even if you never read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would have all you need for salvation without reading those books. And he said, you know, Romans and Ephesians and Galatians are far, far above Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Well, wait a minute. Matthew, Mark, and Luke <laughs> contain most of Jesus' teachings. You're saying we can be a Christian wow. without even knowing what Jesus taught, you know? And so that's the problem. Yeah, go back and read Jesus if you, if you have a problem with this. In the same way, if you're listening to this, you're not an Anabaptist, and you're thinking, oh, this David is pushing, you know, work salvation, whatever. Go and read Jesus and see what he said about salvation. Go to Matthew. Read the whole book. Read all of Luke. Read all of John. Not just little proof text, you know, you know John 3, 16, but read everything, including John 14, John 15, where Jesus really goes into this about obedience. And you'll see, hey, this is the teaching of Jesus Christ. And if I truly love Jesus, if I truly do appreciate what he did for me on the cross, then, you know, why would I not obey him if, if I really love him? If, if I really appreciate that he did this for me and he suffered for me, and yet I'm not willing to be inconvenienced for him, then, yeah, I must not really love him. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for the time you spent. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you, Reagan. I've enjoyed the discussion. Yeah, this is very good. Thank you. For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We'd love to hear from our audience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for listening to Anabaptist Perspectives. Your listening and sharing this with friends helps more people find our episodes. A special thanks to all of you who support Anabaptist Perspectives financially. We are here because of you. If you haven't had the chance to give yet this year, would you consider making a year-end donation? You can donate on our website or by check. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.